you so much. Oh. <laughs> just had a voice crack. <laughs> I remember being 15. <laughs> I wish. Okay, here we go. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Attack and Release Show. My name is Sam Moses. I'm here with my good friend, Matt Garber. And Hello. today, we are going to unpack confidence versus self-doubt and probably explore imposter syndrome. Very uh, very buzz, buzz word, buzz phrase of the I've last couple years. I've still never heard that syndrome. You just keep saying it. You may have it, Matt, you. and you don't even know it. <laughs> I probably do. I'm such a fraud. <laughs> so that is today's episode. And uh, Matt, would you like to unpack the suitcase? I mean, I'll probably just follow you along with it since I'm an imposter. It's opened. <laughs> See, now I know what you're doing, and it's so demystified <laughs> that it's like it's not even a thing anymore. I'm not even amazed by it. But that I, was a like, really first, good one, though. I just did the first time. My mind was blown. I know it kind of blew my own mind. <laughs> yeah, with your mouth. There's that confidence we're talking about. <laughs> uh, it's just hiding the self doubt. <laughs> there you go. Oh, man. Perfect. So let's uh, let's get into it. Let's get into it. All right, Sam. So I'm going to tee you up on this one. Let's so do it. I don't know if this is your definition, if it's the definition of the internets, but tell us your definition of confidence. This is the definition from the Google internets. Confidence is the feeling or belief that one can rely on someone or something. Firm trust. Like a firm mattress, firm trust. I hate firm mattresses. <laughs> I do too. So that's the definition of confidence. And I would say I agree with that definition. And I guess I'll open up with my monologue here. Monologue one on confidence. Do you ever write these down or is it just like a oh, this just is, like a riff? This is a riff. They're always riffs. You don't just got a guy, you don't have a guy in the back of the studio <laughs> with like cue cards. Oh, definitely not. Definitely None of that. Not. No, that okay. wouldn't work. I'm much better at rifting than reading. <laughs> so here's my riff on confidence. Uh, for me, confidence is Uh, really something that I think I probably didn't discover uh, until a couple of years ago, if I'm being fully transparent. I feel like I spent most of my life trying to fit in, be cool, be accepted, be seen, be be heard, which is very normal uh, in society. And there's nothing uh, technically wrong with that. But when you are constantly trying to fit in or be like someone else over years of doing that, you create this pattern, at least I did, of feeling uh, inadequate or lacking self-esteem because I had never really taken the time to figure out what I really wanted to do and who I really wanted to be. And I think for me, confidence is completely wrapped up in the idea of ownership. Um, And to me, when you own who you are, that's maybe the only time you can be at true peace with yourself. 
And when you're owning things or owning yourself and accepting yourself for who you are, then all this pressure um, and comparison kind of just dissolves. And for me, it probably took 27 to 28 years to finally hit a brick wall. And when I hit that brick wall, uh, metaphorically, <laughs> I didn't actually run into a brick wall. Uh, I think I realized that I had been trying to be uh, a, essentially a cool guy in the music industry. And I found myself very uh, exhausted full of self-doubt, never really feeling like I was making progress. I didn't really feel like I was doing the work I wanted to be doing or uh, the work I was supposed to be doing. And I found myself very um, stressed, depressed, and anxious all the time because I constantly felt like I was supposed to be in a different place uh, living someone else's life, and it was always the grass is greener on the other side viewpoint. And a lot of that was fueled by Instagram, by interactions in town, from going to people's studio and just seeing all this crazy gear and awards and thinking, wow, that must be nice, and I suck, <laughs> was kind of the mm -hmm. loop that would go in my head. And, uh, you know, we've talked about it before, but really... I think a lot of my mindset shift and life shift happened when I started embracing the idea of, you know, where I am currently is where I'm supposed to be, that this is for me right now. The work I'm doing is for me and not in a, um, you know, and we'll talk about this in like a unique, like I'm super special and what I'm doing is super unique and I'm, you know, like a, a unicorn but more so of an acceptance of reality of where I'm at currently, you know, three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago was actually very uh, normal and very healthy because life is all about this long journey and long process and learning how to embrace the process, embrace reality and have um, healthy expectations of, of life and relationships. And I think for me, when I look back on my life, self-doubt, a lack of confidence, you know, confidence versus self-doubt, self-doubt really came from me feeling like when I would have my own desires or own wants and needs or, you know, I, I grew up singing in a choir and I hated choir. I, I'm, I'm a terrible singer, which is why I do the mixing and mastering and not the performing. Uh, I, knew, I never knew that about you. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I grew up awful. singing as well. Yeah, I'm an awful singer. In my whole life, I was in the choir, um, and I was in chorus at school. I Same. literally, the, I was a very, um, let's see, what's the best way to put this? <clears throat> good student's not the right word. I was a good performer, so I got good grades, but I was not a good student. Um, mm. And the only thing I didn't get good grades in was chorus in school. I got a C. And it was one of those things where I felt so um, inadequate because I knew it from very early on, like, I can't sing. And no matter how many years I did of, you know, lessons within the classes, it was like, I'm not really getting better compared to, like, how I get better at other things in life. Um, and I was... I very early on tried to get out of choir and I was shamed and told I was wrong and, 
and basically within the classes too, I had a teacher who was not very nice who basically shamed me for not being able to sing and not getting better. And I think all of those things, that's one, you know, I'm just digging up childhood right now. I literally haven't thought about that in years, like 10 years. Uh oh. Here's therapy session. But, you know, this is a perfect example of how we carry things from childhood, teenage, high school, college into our adult lives where we're supposed to be um, viewed as, you know, I'm 31, I'm married, I've been married for eight plus years. Um, Eight, nine years. <laughs> See, I forgot. Uh, and I have a dog and I have a house and I have a career going very well. And on Instagram and social media, if you follow along, you probably, I try to be pretty transparent, but it would be very easy to look at my life and be like, wow, he's really crushing it. He must be perfect or have no issues. Yet here I am at 31 digging up some emotions and feelings from when I was told and being shamed in choir class because I couldn't sing. (laughs) So (laughs) there's some self-doubt right there coming back around that needs some healing. But um, I really feel like for a lot of people that lack confidence, if you start to dig in and examine kind of your life, uh, self-doubt and a lack of confidence comes from being told you're wrong or being shamed or never feeling good enough. So Hmm. those are my Opening remarks, monologue number one, Matt. What's your view? What are your thoughts? What part did you sing in choir or chorus? Uh, I was... (laughs) I feel like I literally didn't have a part because they didn't know where to put me because I was so bad. I literally was put in the back, like fourth row in the corner where the light doesn't hit the stage. (laughs) Damn. That's where I was. (laughs) That's really cold. Why'd you stay in the class? I had to. I was being forced. Your teacher's a bitch. She wasn't yeah. very nice. That's really messed up. I know. I loved it. I mean, I liked my. F- I liked uh, the social aspect of hanging out and and being at performances. <clears throat> I always loved like the hour before performance hang, and then like the hour after cake and punch party. But the actual performance was just a nightmare for me. So. <laughs> Huh. I was exactly the opposite. You're like a, <laughs> I don't know why. a good choir I don't, boy. I don't know why. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't... I had, like, nothing against, like... Like, I just don't like people. <laughs> so, like, kind of <laughs> rolled out the before and after for me. But it's like, I had no problem, like, getting up in front of people. But it was like, the... My choir teacher... I think I was a bass, too. And then when my voice dropped it was literally overnight i didn't have the the thing like that like yeah happens with a teenage boy it was literally like i remember i was at my grandparents house and i woke up one day and my voice was really raspy and just overnight it was deeper yeah and that i didn't i didn't have any embarrassment with it and then i was moved to a base three with like two massive black dudes who were incredible to sing with <laughs> and we just kind of kept the baseline and it was the easiest thing I've ever done in my life <laughs> so I didn't mind it but I would have sang in college too and the choir prof- the choir person was like chasing after me to do it and I was like no I don't I don't want to do this I like <laughs> I was kind of like wrapped up you know the military college yelling at people destroying your voice like mm. that whole thing and yeah so that didn't happen yeah but sucks you didn't like it I had a fun time with it but I can't hold a note now to save my life. 
So, whatever. Um, what do I think about it? Um, yes, confidence versus self-doubt thoughts. So I had a good friend growing up. He, arguably, he was my best friend growing up. Uh, he was from Germany, didn't really speak English well. And to that regard, like, actually had, I had, I had a couple foreign friends and I feel like I learned more from their lack of link, lack of English than anything that I could have taught them because they, they speak in such like a primal way that they were taught how to speak. Like there's no like, uh, everyday vernacular and whatnot. So, uh, my, his, his name is Tom Lembecker and he's, uh, he's still a really close friend. I think it's his birthday this week. I'll probably go out to his house. And, uh, the way that he would just put things, if if I ever had like, some like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this or if I want to do that. Uh, he would just put it in such a simplistic way because it's the only way that he could put it at the time. And he said, well, if I just want to do something, then I just go do it. And if I don't want to do it, then I don't go do that. So, just pick one and quit your bitching. <laughs> and it's just really been how my life has been and how I've picked a lot of my battles and picked a lot of like what I wanted to do is I just remember that lesson perhaps from like high school or something like that. Um, and just like, well, if I want to do it, then why don't I just go do it? And yeah, there's going to be obstacles and there's going to be things that suck. And of course, it's not going to be as simple as, well, I want to go do it, so I'm going to go do it. And it's not going to be, like I said, it's not going to be that easy, but who cares? Just just figure it out. If you want to do it, then you'll figure it out. And if you don't, then you won't. So that's kind of like, that's kind of been my whole mindset of it. Um, there's not really like a lot more to it. And I don't know, I don't know if it's like, I, I don't think I have too much confidence because I feel like, I don't really feel like a confident person. But it's just, like, a mental thing of, like, I don't think I'm a jerk. Because if you get, like, to that point, then you kind of become an asshole. And I don't think that's me. I don't think I'm an asshole. So I guess I wouldn't be really the one to judge my assholeness. But, no, but, like, like seriously, like, if, like, you're a jerk, you really can't decide on whether you're a jerk or not because it's somebody else's opinion. And... They're like, no, 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 no. You actually have no say in the matter on whether or not you're a jerk. It's somebody else's opinion. So, and it's like opinions in that regard are kind of fact. So, but I mean, that's kind of how I viewed confidence is if I just wanted to do something, I would do it. And there's been times in my life to where it's like, well, I'm going to need to wait like five years in order so I can have like, the means in order to do something or I'm going to need to like save a stupid amount of money or something like that. And it's like, all right, well, I need to save money in order to do this. And then I just, I found a way to make money. I'd go cut neighbor's grass. And I literally had a lawn mowing business from when I was nine years old to when I was 18. And when I was in high school, I'd go cut like, I think it was on average between 13 and 17 lawns in two days, two and a half days if I got Friday night after school. So, I mean, just, I just worked my ass off and it's like, okay, this is what I need to do in order to get to this place. And I just found a way and found the way to make the money and I just went and did it. So, 
But, it, I mean, it all stems back to what Tom was saying, Tom Limbecker, and just, well, if you want to do it, then do it. And if you don't want to do it, then don't do it. <laughs> but, it, like, once again, it was that lack of, like, like clarity in the English language that just really brought to that. Um, but then you get this whole <clears throat> thing, like, say you're starting a new adventure, like you wanted to start a studio or something like that, like, or even, like, when I was uh, back flying, is, like, if you were to plot a graph... And on the y-axis is, or the vertical axis is knowledge gained. And then on the horizontal axis is time. And I believe I have told you this, Sam. Um, so in overtime, you will gain a specific amount of knowledge. And, I mean, just, just naturally, you're starting something new. It's like drinking from a fire hose. Uh, you will pick things up. And then eventually you will plateau of like, well, I think I've learned about as much as I'm going to learn, and you kind of get cocky. And I was, I was kind of like that when I first started uh, running front of house. And then you have this whole other world, like you have this whole other world open up to you about like what's going on. You're staring up this massive mountain of all of this trash that you don't know, and you're kind of cowering and some people never reach that point and they're just like cool in that little plateau and it never goes anywhere beyond that um but i always find myself uh pretty pretty dumbstruck by how much i do not know yeah because that plateau is well i've i guess learned all that i have to learn and i mean it, when i when i first started mastering i remember i was telling uh, i was telling you sam it's like yeah i've kind of hit this plateau of like things and it's like in my head i'm like well i guess this is all that there is to it because my, everybody likes what i'm doing and this this isn't this and i said but i've been here before and i know this is a dangerous place to be and this is not a safe place to reside <laughs> and very soon, there will be this mountain of things that I do not understand and that I do not know. And fortunately, it is information that I can look up on the internet and ask for help from this vast community that like, we've kind of created. And it's like, if I don't know something, I have another mastering engineer, like literally within phone call, text message, like Instagram direct message that I can reach out to and say, Hey, can you help me with X, Y, or Z? Yeah, and it's been pretty awesome. Um, so if you're at that place and you're kind of plateaued and you're just sitting around and you're thinking, well, I guess this is all there is, just sit, just sit for a while <laughs> and and start digging and start scrounging around and poking your nose where it probably shouldn't be, and you'll end up at a very cool place, staring up the side of a mountain of knowledge that you didn't even know existed, and. It's a pretty daunting but fun place to be. Mm-hmm. So if you're into that. So that's kind of where I am with confidence. Um, I take it in stride and I really, like, I, I will only really invest myself in things that I enjoy. Yeah. So, I mean, but that's just, that just kind of been, that just kind of been my life. If I wanted to do something, I would just arrange my life in, in, in accordance to make that happen. Yeah. Is is that cocky? Is that bad? I don't think it's cocky or bad. I think that's. Um, I feel like that's unique, and that's what people long to do. And I think that's something. Either I didn't feel like 
I was allowed to do what I wanted, so I didn't pick what I wanted to do. So there were plenty of times in my childhood, high school, college, I was raised in a uh, Christian church, and I'm not going to get super religious, but there were multiple times where I did not want to partake in anything that was going on. Like I would just love to sleep mm-hmm. in on a Sunday, like have a full weekend yeah. off when my other friends would have it off or there'd be events like expectations to be a part of certain things on weekends or, you know, in the summer or going, you know, they call them mission trips where you'd go build a house or something. And, um, there were lots of times where, um, anyone who knows me knows I really hate manual labor. Um, I renovated my whole house with my wife and it was, I was one about of, to bring that up. Yes. Like that's a, that's an accomplishment. Oh, then. I know. And I've gotten good at it. I've actually become like the handyman within our friend group, mm. um, which is just hilarious after like four years of, of, or three years of renovating our house. That's what I've become now. Um, and there's definitely like some value and confidence. You were talking about confidence of like learning how to work with your hands and, I know basic electrical and plumbing and drywall and pretty much everything at this point. Um, But when we started the renovation, you know, the first time we saw this house that I'm in, that we live in, it's, you know, it's, it's originally from 1930. It had been updated in the seventies. It's basically didn't change in the seventies till now. So 30, 40 years. Um, Any brown carpet? Oh yeah. Brown shag? Brown shag, green shag, blue shag. All right. Uh, three layers of paneling and then plaster behind it, uh, non-functioning kitchen, non-functioning bathroom. Uh, basically, we walked in and I was like, hell no. <laughs> and my wife was like, this is the one. And that's so much my Uh-oh. my wife has the vision. She's always had vision and she's an incredible designer. Um, and we had looked at probably 20 homes and... Hmm. And this one, for some reason, she was like, this is it. I can see it. And so uh, something I learned early on in our marriage was my wife is almost always multiple steps ahead of me. I think it, I want to say, I almost think it's a woman thing, a discernment thing. Um, I don't want to get into gender, but I just feel like women have a little more clarity and discernment currently than most men uh, in my experience. And my wife. I'll second that one. Yeah, I mean, I just. If anyone wants the battle, they can fight us both. Yeah, that'd We're be both fine. Married. You've been um, married for nine years. You said. So. Yeah, yeah. I've been wrong. So you're, yeah, you're, you're. Yeah, you've you've been you've been getting it firsthand. I've been married for uh, right at going on three years, and yeah. I'm of the belief that if you could bottle up the intuition that a woman has and sell it, yes, <laughs> you would be a very rich individual. Yeah, that would be terrific. So. Uh, Change my mind. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, so she saw the house and was like, this is the one. And I was like, you know we're going to have to like renovate all of this like to the studs. She's like, yeah, mm. it's fine. So anyway, long story short, we did that. But I don't like manual labor. So um, when I would go on these trips, you know, with church or whatever, I would just loathe my time. But there was an expectation of you need to be a man, you need to work hard, set the example, be a leader, blah, 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 um, which is just what I was raised in. And uh, there was a lot of times where I was like, I actually like playing guitar, but I can't do that right now because that's not what a guy does. 
the guy digs the shovel and hmm. and you know uses the shovel and digs and builds the house and the girls go do creative things. And I think I was raised, you know, this is just my unique upbringing. It's probably not even unique. There's probably thousands of people have similar experience if you grew up in a Bible Belt area in America. Um, but with all that being said, like I basically, anytime I felt like getting quote unquote out of line, I would be shamed back into to a certain lifestyle. And uh, I think, you know, going back to what you were saying, Matt, like, is it cocky or whatever that you do basically what you want to do? I would say, no, that's actually pretty, pretty healthy um, as long as what you're doing is not um, masking or numbing reality, you know. From Don't get me year. wrong. I was a defiant kid. <laughs> <laughs> so this has kind of been my whole life. Yeah, see, and, and I wasn't. But I just feel like people that I encounter... Or not encounter, but like hang out with and whatnot. In some like way, I feel like there's a part of me that like is normally giving people permission to do like whatever the hell they want to do. Yeah, and that's powerful. And I've always just kind of found that I've always found that kind of different. Like, how come like people aren't just doing this? And it's like I wasn't really encouraged in that way growing up. It's just what I did. Yeah, I would say I that's defiant. I would say that's unique. Um, based on what I've observed in the first 31 years of my life and my friends and, and family even, like I find, especially in Nashville too, like people are scared to be themselves or make art that they really want to create because they're scared a label won't, won't want it or the radio won't play it. And so they go and make the same song that they've made for the last 10 years that worked one time in hopes that it will work again all the while they're, you know, extremely frustrated and depressed because they're basically denying the reality and denying themselves of what they need to create. And I'm a big believer in growth and expansion. And I think whenever you feel that way, whenever you you butt up against something that goes like, I feel like I've plateaued, kind of like maybe you were saying, Matt, it's like, oh, you haven't plateaued. You're about to actually fall off the cliff into a new something. <laughs> and learn a whole mm. bunch more if you want to. Um, and I think that's a big thing. Life can either hit you in the head with it, and you can either shrink and, and move backwards, or you can open yourself up and learn and grow. And I think, you know, for me, a few years ago when I hit that brick wall that I was talking about earlier, you know, going through counseling and stuff and unpacking a lot of baggage of, like, I really... Um, when I started going through counseling, I remember coming home one day and we were talking through a session with my wife and she was like, she was like, yeah, you really have never made a, made your own choice in your life ever. Have you? Cause I'm, yeah. I was pretty, uh, pretty indecisive person when we first were dating and probably the first four, four years of our marriage, it would be like deciding anything was torture for me. Where do you want to go to eat? I don't know. You know, we could go here, we could go here, we go here, go here. Okay, well, where do you want to go? I don't care, you pick. And that was always my thing, you pick, you pick, you pick. Anything with people, you pick, you pick. And it was from A, not wanting to rock the boat, B, not wanting to uh, put out my own wants, needs, and desires of fear of being shamed or, you know, being isolated or alone. And really up until the last three years, like, when I started doing things for myself, which was taking care of myself, not neglecting what I'd like to do in life and um, really starting to own, I'll say in a career 
career lane of my sound and how I wanted to master and not being scared to do things differently and have different signal chains and even my whole approach to everything is different. And I'm not doing it just to be different. I'm doing it because it's the way I hear music and how I'd like to make it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that was a big shift of when I started to make choices for myself, I became healthier, I became happier. My confidence just went all the way through the roof. And mm-hmm. I stopped caring about what others thought about it. Not in a mean, like, screw off, I don't need anybody thing, but more so a, recon- a recognizing of... I really believe that people are their happiest when they're first taking care of themselves and choosing what they want to do. And that then creates um, space to include people. And it also allows me to take care of people even better because I'm actually a full, healthy human. And it's hard to take care of people if you're running at like 50%. You're pretty much a Mm -hmm. burden at that point and you're half-assing everything. And that's usually not helpful to anyone. Um, I had a good friend of mine who had a pretty solid quote which was um, it started with a question saying do you know why they tell you to put on or on an airplane when the like depressurizes and the air mask drops um, do you know why they tell you to put on your mask before helping others and typically people say no and even me like as a pilot I just like mm, not really and <clears throat> he said well you're of no use to anyone else if you can't breathe yeah and it's like it's like rings true so much in like every other facet of life. Absolutely, yeah. So I've I've kind of lived by that, and it's like it's 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 a thing that in order to take care of yourself, you have to be able to breathe. Yeah. And if you're burning the candle at both ends, I mean that's why the grind culture thing sucks. Right. It's like you can't. At some point, you need to focus on somebody besides yourself. Yeah. And in order to do that, you have to be able to breathe, and you have and like in order to give back, you have to be like of worth and you're not really of much of anything if you're just like gasping for anything you can get. Right. That's so that's, you're just going to kind of be taking more as opposed to giving. Yeah. That's a good word right there, Matt. That's some wisdom. See, that's why I like you. <laughs> I think that leads in for me to like you know what I've done used to do in the past <laughs> and I see people do it is you know, a lot of people that lack confidence and have self-doubt, um, have it because they've tried to fix things or prove that they're worthy to do things, and they grew up thinking, I'm not good enough, um, or being told they're not good enough, or projecting that onto themselves because they don't have this crazy, amazing career or life that they're seeing online that other people are mm-hmm. posting You know, that may or may not be actual reality. Um, but I think that's... To me, if you're someone, if you're anything like a normal human, I think, and I was this way, I used to try and prove that I was good enough to people because I wanted to be seen and heard. And I feel like, um, you know, it's very natural to want to fix things. And I feel Mm -hmm. like growing up, um, not just growing up, but in college too and being out on my own for a bit, I was trying to prove to people that I was worth something by my work. And I found my identity and work and accomplishment, especially in the music world, so easy to find your identity and worth in credits and gear and all these things that are really nice to um, put out on social media and show off to get likes and follows. And I think 
all of that, if you're doing it from a wrong motive, from a place of self-doubt, um, you know, I think that ties back to this idea of I'm not good enough. And I think what I found is when I stopped caring what others thought and I started to do my own thing, like you were talking about of taking care of yourself and, and putting on your mask first, the, um, the goal of trying to prove that I am good enough and the goal of trying to prove that I'm worthy just kind of vanishes because I'm no longer mm-hmm. trying to impress other people. I'm just focused on myself. And I literally, when you start to focus on yourself, um, you know, the, the pushback I feel like used to be is like, you can become really selfish if you just focus on yourself. And I think we've swung so much the other way to now it's like, I actually you know, people may be selfish, but I really don't know that many selfish people. I know people who are just depressed and upset with reality, which may appear that they're being selfish by their behavior. But I feel like for the majority like of people I know, they're not that selfish and they're not actually cocky. And I think, I feel like we've swung to where like, I try to tell people, I'm like, you know, most people I know are too humble, too shy, they lack confidence, and I think it's a direct result of the way we've been raised and the society we've been put in. And I think the best thing you can do and learn is to be yourself and to realize that you don't have to prove anything to anyone. And as soon as you kind of get rid of that, then your confidence goes up. Um, so that's my, my monologue number two, Matt. Yeah, my wife and I, like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm a weird person or whatnot, but my wife and I, we had a eight-hour drive yesterday, and we were just talking back and forth, and we were talking about, like, literally this, this whole confidence versus self-doubt, and um, she's going to be launching a blog with a podcast and stuff like that, and I keep telling her, like, I couldn't be more proud of what she's doing. Yeah. <clears throat> And of course, there's self-doubt in that. I mean, when we we released this podcast, we're like, well, we know we're going to have people who disagree with us, but that's fine. We just need to kind of stick with our guns and not really let that, like, sway us and whatnot. And I was just kind of telling her, like, just make sure that, like, like all these jerks, like, they're not going to like you. And you have to say, well, F you. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. You just stop listening. <laughs> and you don't have to reply to every piece of hate mail and right. stuff like that. And I mean, we don't reply to everything that's negative to us. I mean, we don't have a lot. Um, but there are some people who disagree with what we say. Um, but yeah, we were talking about that and I was telling her, or she she said, so you, you don't have this whole thing on social media where you're comparing yourself? I was like, not really. I said, I use social media as a research tool to... Like, okay, I think I want to go to that pair of speakers. And I think that'll go well in this room. I need to find a way to demo those. And this is the fund that I'll need in order to create this. And I'll need to cut back here, here, and here. And I'll probably have to move this over to like a year or so down the road. And, and as I said, that's what I go, that's what goes through my mind. It's not like, uh, oh, I wish I had this type of a room. It's like, screw that guy. It's like, He's living his dream. I'm not going to live his dream. It's like, who am I to live his dream? Yeah. It's like, I'm going to do things in my life for my life and not for like someone else. 
And it's like I'm not going to go around like bragging about it or anything. Like I have no reason to do that. Yeah. But see I that mean, that to me that self awareness is unique that you have. And I don't know where what that came from, but I think I, that is a unique thing to have, and that's something that everything you just said, everything you've pretty much said in this whole episode to me did not click until a few years ago. Like I mm. literally those <laughs> concepts were not existent in my life. And that's what mm. I've observed a lot here in town is like in our age group, you know, 20s, 30s, the millennial or Gen Ys, like I feel like either you were raised in a unique way um, or somehow you managed to have some divine wisdom <laughs> from very early on. I'm just know. up in my head, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm just up in my head. I mean, I don't think it's, I, I don't think it was how I was raised or my friends or anything. I mean, I have two sisters and I don't think they think the same way that I do. <laughs> yeah. I would say I mean, you've, you've got a, a unique perspective that, you know, I would say I, I would be envious, but I feel like I share it now. But I would say, yeah, like, don't be envious of it. It's like, if nothing else, it's like, I just tell people that are doing good work, hey, you're doing really good work. And nobody for some reason is telling you that. Right. But like, the way that you're doing what you do is fantastic. Yeah. And I really can't wait to see like, like what you do. Right. So, yeah, that's unique. That's something I practice, but that's a new practice, <laughs> you know, the last few years. So. Yeah, I've, I've kind of gotten more positive recently. Yeah, uh, and I've just kind of like kept it in my head. But I'm like, there's a lot more life that could be spread, and a lot more good stuff that could happen out of me vocalizing the things that I'm speaking. And normally, I'm like, I, I have I have this rule, and it's called rule number one. And it literally <laughs> like you can take biblical context and you could take all the 10 commandments and crush it down into this one rule you could take laws you could take any rule in the world and it kind of fits down into this one rule and it's rule number 1 and it's don't be a douchebag <laughs> right and, and it's just like it's like don't murder people don't be a douchebag don't go cheat on your wife don't be a douchebag <laughs> it's like i don't know just don't be a douchebag right you're good Right. It's like don't speed in traffic. Don't be a douchebag. <laughs> so it's like I just got off an eight, like I said, an eight hour drive. A lot of douchebags on the road, man. <laughs> <laughs> and and it was funny because like I was talking to my wife and I was like, Dear, what have we been doing for like the past six hours? Like I really haven't like moved from where I am besides just going forward. I've literally just stayed in my lane. <laughs> I was like, This that's all you do. You just right. stay in your lane, literally like forget and like fuck off everyone else and just do what you're going to do. Yeah. And I mean, anytime there is self-doubt, like yeah, I of course I have self-doubt about like when I first got into like the office that <clears throat> I'm with my other, w- w- with my other business. I mean, I looked at this office and it was like the only one that would really kind of work and I was like, "Well, trash, like this thing is this thing is not going to work at all." And then I was in here for about two weeks, and then just in the back of my head, I said, well, what if? What if this works? What if I turn things? What if I do this? What if I just set stuff up? Yeah. And let's just see what it sounds like. And it didn't suck. <laughs> and I was like, well, let's try doing what we always do and treat this by ear. Like, if you <laughs> if you look at my walls, 
my walls look like a war zone because everything is literally just pickled with holes <laughs> of like where I've put different things and where I've moved things to and how I've done things. So, I mean, it doesn't look good. Like I had a, one of my friends who's a photographer did some pretty cool pictures and that's the only cool stuff that's come out of here. But it sounds really good. Yeah. And I, I, I like what it, I, I like how everything sounds and I'm proud of it. Yeah. Um, and everything, more importantly, translates out of here. It translates really well. Yeah. So I've been... I mean, that's just kind of my self-confidence of it. But it's not like in like a jerky way of like, oh, people are like, oh, well, that sounds good. And I'm like, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> then if it's like that, it's like, oh, well, thank you very much. I'm really glad you love what I did. And yeah. I, in all honesty, I'm really glad of what, I'm really glad what we all did. Yeah. And because this is more of a collective effort. Yeah. And at, at this point, I'm just QC. I'm just quality control. Yeah. Like, Making sure, like, hey, everything's in the right place. I have never heard this before. Like, if you had two mics on the snare and like one's like kind of weird, it's like be like, hey, well, can we can we check that out? Or like the low end's out of phase. It's like I got a little button I can push and it inverts the polarity on both channels. And it's like, okay, cool, problem solved. The speaker cone now kicks out whenever the low end hits, <laughs> as it should. Yes. So. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. it's not that I have a lot of confidence. It's just like I'm willing to try stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. I think I that's... I, I, I was going to say something that I was thinking about while you were talking about of music being like a collective thing, and I think that's, for a lot of people, hard to um, comprehend, and it's something I've actually thought a lot about the last few years is we will often put a lot of pressure on ourselves at whatever stage we're at, whether you're songwriter, engineer, producer, mixer, mastering, um, that we often feel that like everything rises and falls on us. But really, it's a team effort of winning and failing. Obviously, you could probably screw mm-hmm. things up pretty bad at any stage. And there's sometimes maybe mistakes that are made that are very blatant but the more I do mastering one of the most freeing things was basically you know accepting the mix and accepting that what someone sent me people signed off on and it's not my Mm. job to at least my approach is like my job is not to pick this apart unless there's something so blatant that's like was this a miss bounce like (laughs) Was did something happen here in the Dropbox transfer? Um, but I really, something that's been so freeing is like I'm one step of many at the mastering and just because it's the last step doesn't mean I'm responsible for fulfilling everyone's dreams at this stage. You know, if the drummer's still frustrated with the drums and we're at the mastering yeah, stage, much of that. that's no, that's something I used to stress out about. You know, if I talk to a band, you know, what do you think about the mixes? Well, the drum, we don't like the drums still, but we can't fix it. You know, then I would take it onto myself of like, oh, I got to fix the drums from mastering. <laughs> like, and yeah, I, but that's not fair to you. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do that of like mixers. Um, I have conversations with mixers all the time of, a, I think there's a lot of very bad engineers out there um, who are recording things very poorly because I get to hear about it from my mixers who send me work of like, you wouldn't believe what I had to work with. 
but I always tell the mixer, I'm like, it's not, it's not your responsibility to like replace every sample, reamp every guitar amp, tune yeah. every vocal. Like if you're doing that, you've now become the artist and the producer essentially. So you better get paid more. You better get credit or you better tell them, Hey, go retract this. Like it's not on mm-hmm. the mixer to salvage a song out of a bad recording. Just like it's not on the mastering engineer to salvage a mix that was mixed really bad. Like my job is not to, I mean, sometimes it feels like it is like covering up people's errors or lack of experience is really the better term, lack of experience. I don't think people ever blatantly try and suck, (laughs) you know? Hmm. No one sets out to be like, yeah, I'm going to mix this really poorly because <laughs> that'll that'll be good for me. I think it's a lack of experience, and that's kind of how I view things now. It's like, oh, this mix is rough. How long have you been mixing? Oh, two years? Oh, well, actually, you're right where you should be. That's, I literally tell people that hmm. who are like, they feel behind or frustrated. I'm like, oh, how long have you been doing this? Oh, three years? Well, what do you, where do you think you should be? You know, who told you that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like. No, you're actually spot on. You're actually doing really well for three years right now of mixing. But that doesn't mean your mixes are like Grammy Award winning or, you know, the Sonic standard. And I think for a lot of people, that's hard to digest, you know. And that's what I had to deal with with mastering and like confidence and, you know, self doubt. It's like when I started mastering, I knew I felt like I was good at it, I was being affirmed in it constantly. It came very natural to me, but I also would listen to, you know, guys I liked, you know, Bob Ludwig, Tom Coyne, Dave Kutch, um, guys I really liked their work, and I'd be like, man, my stuff doesn't sound like that. Not, And this was at a stage of not like I'm trying to mimic them, but it was literally like there's just something that's happening that's better. Like I like it <laughs> better. And... Um, you know, a lot of it has to do with great mixing and great sourcing. But also, I know now that I've been mastering for eight years, like, I know what good mastering can do to a mix. And I know, mm-hmm. like, what can be achieved at the mastering stage that cannot be achieved at the mix stage. Even if you're a mixer trying to do, like, loudness or faux limiting or faux mastering before it goes to the mastering engineer, the amount of of things a mastering engineer can do and what good mastering can do is insane. Like you can pretty much, it's, it's pretty nuts. But I say all that just because I remember, you know, eight years ago, seven years ago, six years ago, five years ago, having these thoughts in my head of like, you know, I, man, I wish I could just do that. I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that. I don't feel confident yet. And then the shift happened of, that whole concept of where I am is where I'm supposed to be. It's like, oh, well, actually, I'm right on track. Like, for someone who's only been doing this for a few years, you know, eight years ago or nine years ago, it's like, oh, people are paying me money already to do this. That's something. And people say I'm good at this, so that's something. So I need to accept that this is going to take time, and it's good that it actually takes time because this is actually where the reward comes from is in the work and the, in the process, as we've talked about. Once I started to accept that, um, my confidence just went through the roof once again because it's like if you accept that where you're at is where you're supposed to be, not in a passive way but in a, in a growth and an openness and an acceptance sort of way, then everything you're doing currently is exactly what you're supposed to be doing. So there's no questioning. There's no self-doubt. There's no, um, you know, I'll introduce it, imposter syndrome. Um, there's just... 
there's no, none of those thoughts and all you operate out of is they hired me to do the work. They want me to put my, um, my expertise into it. Even if you just started, you have some sort of knowledge and opinion that someone wants to hear or values. And if you focus on those things, the self-doubt, like you don't have time to even think about self-doubt because you're just so immersed in the work you're doing and you come from a place of gratefulness that, wow, I even get to do this. This is amazing. Um, and I get to collaborate with people and I get to be, once again, one small step. It doesn't all rise and fall on you. It rises and falls on everyone. And I think that's an important thing to talk about when we talk about the music industry and, and confidence is like, it's not all on you to fix everybody's problems. Just like in real life, it's not on me to make everybody happy. But when I try to make everybody happy and I try to make um, everyone like me you know, or fit in, that's where the self-doubt creeps back in is because I'm living outside of who I'm supposed to be and I haven't accepted my reality. And I'm starting to, at that point, try and be someone else who I'm not. And that's when you lose all your confidence. So I just want to touch on that for a bit before we move on to, I'll say, imposter syndrome, if you want to move to that. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I'm going to touch on what you were saying real quick. Yeah, go. In that, I mean, if someone brings something to you and says, I'm not completely happy with this, and I don't think we had enough time to do that, and we didn't get to track this and with enough time and in the right place and all that stuff, and we didn't have all the materials that we thought we would. <clears throat> I mean, whether you're a mix engineer or mastering engineer, whoever you are, <clears throat> I mean, this even can apply to other career fields. Um, don't take that burden upon yourself to be like, oh, I will or I have to improve X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, because candidly, that project sounds like it was doomed from the beginning. <laughs> and I had, I had a good friend of mine <clears throat> who he was just kind of like, like just ranting a little bit. I mean, it's nothing against him. It was just like we've all had those projects. And he said those exact same things. And I said, dude, it sounds like you were pretty much set up for failure. And it's like nothing about this project sounds like it's fair to you. And it sounds like it was one of those situations where uh, one of those we'll fix it in, in, in mastering situations. Yeah. And <clears throat> I think one of the cooler things about mastering is not necessarily all that you can do, but I think also the limitations that you have. And, I mean, once you kind of embrace those limitations of, like, I only have two channels, and I can mess with the vocal, but the vocal goes from, like, super low to probably, like, mid to, yeah, mid 2K. It's like, there's only, like, so much I can do to affect, like, without pulling the whole vocal down, it's like, yeah, you can be playing around in, I mean, in the mix with the mix bus and and the master bus and all that stuff, but it's like, in, I mean, yeah, you have that luxury of like being able to like pull stuff up and down and like, oh, well, I don't like how this is sitting now, so I'm gonna yeah. go back here. But like actually having your hands tied and saying, hmm, well, I can't do this. I can either send it back for mix revisions or I can find a workaround or maybe I can't really do anything with this. I mean, just kind of like knowing like these are my options. I mean, in general, is relatively freeing. Mm -hmm. 
So I don't know. That's kind of that's kind of where I sit on all of that. So imposter syndrome. That's where we're going next. <clears throat> Only if you want to. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know it was as much of a buzzword as I guess it is. Um, I mean, in general, to me, and I, I think you have a different definition for it, Sam. But with with me, I would see that there were like people who were trying to. <clears throat> I don't know, maybe like chase somebody else's dream, yeah. like a dream that was not theirs, but that was kind of like a burden on them. And it's not necessarily them that they have, like, it's not necessarily fair to them that they have to chase that dream. Or there's another flip side to it of uh, you're chasing the dream of a person that you look up to, say, another mastering engineer. And you want to be a mastering engineer and you want to turn out as good a stuff as they turn out. And like you're chasing after that dream and you're buying the gear that they're buying and you're doing X, Y, and Z that they're doing. And in the end, it's like, it's not fair to yourself because you're not like chasing after your own thing. You're living somebody else's life. And none of this is necessarily fair to you, to your life, to your family that you may have. Mm-hmm. And I mean, well, people are like, Oh, well you have, you're, you're 20 years old. You got another 80 years. It's like, yeah, well, that's good. It's like, why would you want to go chasing after somebody's life with that, like, mess of time that you have? Yeah. It's like, why not go out and, like, just try to make something different and beautiful and, like, screw what everybody else says. <laughs> so, but I think that you have a different definition of it, Sam. I would say my definition is similar. And once again, I would say that whole viewpoint you just said, that little riff is, like, you're spot on again. I think that's a healthy way to approach things of, like, yeah, live your own life. Like, stop chasing the grass is always greener. Stop chasing someone else's lane. And instead of, like, being jealous, look at it and go, like, wow, if they get to do that, what could I do, you know, with my life? Because everybody comes from nothing, essentially. Even people that are, you know, wealthy from the start still have to make the choice to do something, you know, at Mm -hmm. the end of the day. Um you know, a lot of people like to say, well, wealthy people, it must be nice because they just have money and it's, you know, they can do whatever they want, which is somewhat true, you know, but I still think anyone who creates something, even if you're already rich, you have to have the education and knowledge to still maintain that and grow it from that. But I think imposter syndrome is very much rooted kind of in your definition and I think in the way people kind of talk about it in 2019 is it's more surrounded in the idea of, um, say, you accomplish something good, say a company or an artist hires you to do an album, and you do a really good job with it. Um, Well, imposter syndrome actually could start even before that of, you know, we fight so hard to get clients, we get a client, we're so excited, all of a sudden the client sends the files to you, and all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, am I even qualified to do this? Am I good enough to do this? What if I mess up? Well, if I mess up, then I don't get the money. If I don't get the money, then I can't pay my mortgage. If I can't pay my mortgage, then I lose my house. If I lose my house, then I'm homeless, and all of a sudden I'm like doing crack in front of a fire. <laughs> like the spiral happens for people. And I think uh, with imposter syndrome, it can, it can come up at any time, but I think where I see it in town and how I've discussed it with people, and, um, and I've noticed it not 
I wouldn't say I really identify strongly with this idea of imposter syndrome, but there's definitely times of self-doubt where I will turn something in and it'll go really well. And then all of a sudden I'll be like, oh man, I hope I can execute like that again. I hope I can do that again. Um, you know, you can be on such a high mountaintop and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, if they hire me to do another project, I hope I can make it that, you know, that good again. And mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, I think imposter syndrome is heavily <clears throat> rooted in a scarcity mindset, which we've talked a little bit about scarcity and abundance mindsets, but um, imposter syndrome to me is very much rooted in the idea that there is a limited amount of good that if you did a good thing one time, there's a possibility or it's impossible for you to recreate another good thing. And another thing with an imposter syndrome is people often will think, I can't believe they hired me. One day they're going to find out that I'm actually not this good or I don't deserve this. And it's kind of this self-sabotage, self-doubt um, thing that... Uh, is actually pretty popular within the music community. I've, I've talked on a lot of forums about it um, with people who are just starting, people who have been in the industry for you know even 20 years that are super successful and all of a sudden are you know comparing themselves to younger guys and all of a sudden they're like, am I even good enough? Did I you know this must have just been blind luck. I actually don't have any talent and it's the spiraling mentality of self-doubt and kind of getting distracted from owning your own lane and accepting who you are and what you do and and really being confident in that. And uh, I wrote a blog on imposter syndrome a few months ago and I was telling Matt I'm I can't remember what I wrote word for word but I you know I actually really liked one of the lines. There's usually a couple lines in every blog where I'm like, "Oh, that's actually I like that a lot." <laughs> I like most of my blogs, but there's usually a couple zingers in there that are worthy of an Instagram post. And uh, one of them I felt like I said something along the lines of like imposter syndrome goes away when you stop trying to imitate someone else because there's no one else. Like when you start being yourself, there's no one else to imitate because you can only be you and imposter syndrome goes away. And I feel like that's a really big key moment for a lot of people is, oh, if I stop chasing, kind of like you were saying, Matt, is like, if I stop focusing on someone else's life who's more established, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ahead of me and start focusing on myself, imposter syndrome by default has to go away because you're focused on yourself, taking care of yourself, building something that you enjoy. And there's no one else to really compare to or imitate or try to, you know, become an imposter of. So hmm. I think imposter syndrome is very much. Um, wrapped up into self-doubt and not staying in your lane. And then the other side thing, like thing with imposter syndrome, I think, and the reason why we're starting to have this kind of idea come into the atmosphere, I think, is because um, I think a lot of people are scared of having the attention um, from achieving things. And I think when you start to achieve things, there's usually a natural attention that comes to you. And I think some people hate the idea or they don't know how they would handle the pressure of being in a position of attention. And I think there is also this other side of the coin within imposter syndrome and self-doubt is that when you become yourself, and this is just my opinion, when you start to own yourself, 
there's almost like this a responsibility or accountability that comes from owning yourself, owning your lane, and that can actually be very scary for a lot of people to where they think, well, if I'm myself, then that means I may lose some friends, I may you know, have to have some hard conversations with my parents, I may lose some clients, I may gain some clients, and there's kind of a weight and a responsibility to, um, to facing reality and owning where you're at. And I think for a lot of people, that's scary, so it's a lot easier to just try and be someone else because then you can you know, basically lose, live in a delusional state of you know, you're not really yourself, you're not acknowledging your reality, you don't have to take on as much accountability or responsibility because you're essentially trying to live someone else's life. And I think that's kind of another thing that goes into all this with imposter syndrome and self-doubt. But it's definitely something that comes up quite a bit. Um, I feel like with the music community, I've noticed it more and more. And I do think it's rooted in self-doubt, the confidence issue. So, Matt, do you have any other thoughts on that? I'm 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 actually trying to process emotion. <laughs> like I'm trying to think like should I feel bad that like I can't like I don't I like I'm not like uh not like understanding but that like I don't like know this necessarily as much. No, it's I like, don't think I you should at- feel bad. There should be no shame about it. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like that's like that's like the weird way that like my head goes. And so it's like with me, I look at somebody like Bob Ludwig or Greg Calby, and I'm not envious of their setup. I'm like, if I look at it, I'm like, oh, well, shit, I can just do it this way. Yeah. That's a great idea. And it's not necessarily like their gear, but it's like I'll look up. It's like, hey, they kind of they have their monitoring a bit wide. I wonder with this specific type of speaker if there's a certain placement that is more advantageous than having like <clears throat> than like having close. But if you look at say someone like Doug Sachs and you look at like how he did everything, I think his brother built him all of his gear, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, he had ATC like SMC or SCM one fifties, and they were spaced super wide. And it's like I'll look at that and I'll be like, man, why did he do that? And I'm like, <laughs> it's freaking Doug Sachs. Like this guy's a freaking legend. And I'll like spend the rest of the day trying to figure out why that space so wide. And like do the point to where like I'll like have an email typed up that I won't push that <laughs> on. But it's like that's that that's what I do. And like is is there envy there? Not really. Um but there's like this little fire inside of me that is saying it would be cool to be that person, not because of like the fame or whatever that they've like achieved. And I'm sure if you were to even ask them They'd be like, what are you talking about? I'm not famous. I'm like, yeah. yeah, my name's on like a couple of records. It's like a couple, Michael Jackson, David <laughs> Butler. It's like, like you go like down the list. Um, it's like, but with me, I think the one thing that I am excited for down the road, and it generally is excitement, is I can't wait to have the knowledge mm-hmm. that somebody has who has been doing this for 40 years. Yeah. That that's kind of where I get. So it's like the uh, I, when you were talking, I was thinking, well, where am I in all of this? And it's not like I don't feel like I'm overconfident. I just feel like like should I like am I missing out on something? Is there like 
something that like I'm not thinking about? Am I going the wrong way on something? No, I don't like, think you are. And it's like I, I'm not. I'm not envious of people. I'm not. I don't think I'm trying to be something that I'm not. I'm just kind of. So that's what we say. It's just like do your own thing, right. stay in your freaking lane. Don't worry about it. I mean, I just think keep doing you. Once again, I think that is what people try to achieve or strive for. And if you are there, and I've I've talked about this with my wife a lot as I've made changes, I've, as she and I have made changes together over the last five years. There's been a definite um, separation between our friends and there's a lot of friends I don't even have anymore because at some point when you grow you have to th- you know for us it's like I thank I thank people and things and the experiences that I had I th- I'm thankful for them but at some point you have to move forward if you want to grow and that may be saying goodbye to certain things and I think what we've experienced is and this might not be what you're even talking about but I feel like there is this unique kind of loneliness that comes with growth of, man, we don't have a whole lot of friends anymore, just mainly because my wife and I grew up a lot faster than a lot of people our age. And that's always been something of where she was, uh, let's see, she was 20, 19, 20 when we got married. Um, You know, and I'm a couple years older than her. So we were one of the first to get married in our group. Um, I was one of the first to like dive into music, first to have to get a full-time job, just all these things. Um, and it kind of felt, I look back and I'm like, we've always kind of been on our own a little bit, especially the last few years as we focused on, I focused on really growing my business in a healthy way and we got a dog and we have a house and we're in the process of trying to, you know, probably buy another thing. And it's like, we're just living a more, I'll say, I don't even want to say it's not more mature, but we are just ahead of most people and that can sometimes feel lonely. And being an adult and owning your reality can sometimes feel lonely because we're in such a, we're in a world where so many people deny reality and they're not as quote unquote far along. And I think to me, what I'm saying to you, Matt, is like, if you don't have any of these issues... You know that's amazing. And, I'm a weird dude, and I don't. Yeah, and I think it could be viewed. That's what I'm saying is like you could think you're weird, but actually, somehow you've managed to figure out that you need to take care of yourself and do things you like, and you've managed to kind of dodge all this stuff, whether you see it or not. And that's amazing. There's no need to feel shame, and I think that's what I'm saying here is like I don't feel bad anymore that I don't struggle with like anxiety depression like I don't feel bad about that um, and I think for a lot of people you you begin to identify so strongly especially that video you Matt and I were watching a video before this podcast of like the Gen Y and the Millennials of like being told you're unique and that unique storyline sinks itself into everything in your life where I remember when I started counseling it was like my therapist was like, good news is you just have like standard anxiety issues. He's like, bad news is it's anxiety. But he's like, it's mm-hmm. the most common thing. Like, he's like, A, it's normal what you're experiencing, 
which is comforting. But B, he was like, this isn't unique. And you came in here thinking you had some unique situation. <laughs> He's like, you don't. He's like, this is textbook mm-hmm. 101. You moved across the country. You quit your job. You started a new business. You renovated a house. You, you know, all these things. He's like, this is the perfect storm for where you're at. He's like, it's actually amazing what you're doing <laughs> and still functioning. Yeah. You know? And it was one of those things where I was like, I had to get rid of that idea of that uniqueness of like, yeah, my my issues are actually textbook. And they're so textbook that he gave me three books where I was like, is this about me? Like, is this, Mm. this is exactly how I grew up. This is exactly what I think. This is exactly what, you know, I'm scared of. And there's experts Mm. who have written books about it not just recently, but like the last hundred years, like and beyond, you know, old sage wisdom of mystics. And it's like, it's all the same. And I think, you know, I no longer feel bad about not having certain issues that I used to have, you know, and I don't, I'm past all that. And I'm not in denial that, you know, those things could but I, I mean, I don't think they could ever come back because I, I'm taking care of myself and doing things that, you know, support a healthy, normal, balanced lifestyle. But I would say to you, Matt, like I think somehow you've managed, whether you know it or not, to be a healthy whole human, and that's one of the reasons why I love like talking to you, <laughs> and you know that why we're friends. It's like, because you are a whole healthy human. You're a mature adult. I mean, you're a dad. You have a kid. I don't have a kid. I just have a puppy. I love being a dad. Yeah. See, and that's, you have you have an, a, a unique, somehow, either if it wasn't the way you were raised, you had the foreknowledge <laughs> or the wisdom to see that being yourself, accepting yourself and doing what you want is the key to a happy whole life. So... Don't feel bad. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I mean, I have noticed like in life that there are certain like emotions that I lack. Yeah. Which is kind of weird. And one of those, like I've never been jealous before. Yeah. And so it's like jealousy is just something I don't, like I genuinely just don't understand it. Yeah. Because I don't look at somebody and say, I want that. It's I just kind of plan my course. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, I want that. It's like, why do I want that? I'm gonna go do that. Like, even if I'd have like, like a girlfriend break up with me and then go out with somebody else, in my head, I'd be like, yeah, cool. She's fucking awesome. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> like, she's a cool person. It's like I just like in my head, I had like it planned out. It's like, it's like I know what dating is. Dating is to me finding out who you're not going to marry. Yeah. And then through that process, you eventually make the switch and you figure out who you are. Right. And who you are going to marry. And that's just kind of always been that way. So it's like jealousy was just like another one of those things I never really understood too much of. So I mean that might that might kind of flow into into this. But it's like I, I, I'm like I spent my whole freaking childhood riding around on a lawnmower cutting people's grass. So it's like <laughs> I, I was up in my head like listening to the Rolling Stones and Guns and Roses and like on a Walkman. <laughs> so I mean, it just kind of it just kind of is what it is, and that's how I would process. I'm an internal right. processor, and uh, my wife will occasionally get upset with me because I don't immediately respond when 
uh, she's saying something, which which normal people will generally offer a bit of a response, and I'll be like, "Oh, I'm sorry." I'm like, like it's I'm not try- like being disrespectful or trying to, or I'm sorry if I am. I'm just trying to like process this up top, so I don't say something stupid to somebody I really care about. So, yeah, it just I I guess I just do stuff differently. But I mean, if I could leave anybody with something, it'd be like. If you're doing it, and if you have return clients, and people love what you're doing, it's like everybody has slow times, and everybody has those little self-doubts about, oh, well, I suck at this, or I'm never going to be good at that. And it's just like, it's like you are good, because you have return clients, and if you're, like, if you're meeting all the key performance indicators we were talking about in the marketing episode about like what it means if you actually have a healthy business, then, I mean... Then you're doing good. Just keep pushing. Mm-hmm. And this is, I mean, I I wrote something to somebody on a mastering page today, saying like, obviously you're doing all the right stuff. This is a slow burn, man. This isn't like build it and they will come. So like literally, the only thing you can do is just love the work, and then literally go out and make a freaking community out of it. Yeah. And take that encouragement you have and then invest it into somebody else. And then that's how you create a community. And 100% always know it's not about you. I think that's like the biggest thing. Yeah. So I don't know. It's It's like even if you don't have like 100% confidence, just encourage other people that are doing a really good job. Like if you think it in your head, just say it. Yeah. It's like, man, this sounds really good. Just be like, hey, man, this sounds really good. Like whatever you're doing here, is incredible. You should do more of this. And I mean, you'd be surprised. Like anytime I give somebody encouragement, they're like, wow, thanks. No one's told me that. It's like, why? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're a fucking boss, man. Right. <laughs> this, this is great. So I love working with you. So yeah, this has been a really interesting episode. Yeah, it's great. It's been like a lot of discovery from like when we both sang. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and like, Covered a lot of ground. That's gone, (laughs) and then Instagram and Facebook comparisons, and learning how to not be a douchebag. Yes, and then learning that if you're too confident, you become a douchebag. Yes, how learning how to avoid that, and I mean, how to not have imposter syndrome. I mean, this is this is like the full gambit here. This is jam packed with value. If so, if you're listening, (laughs) what's going on right now is you're getting your full money's worth. That free 99 subscription plan you have is free 99 paying for itself. That's it. Well, I think so. we've uh, beaten another horse to death. Yeah. <laughs> no, I feel like we've learned, like, I've learned a lot about you, and I guess you've learned, I learned how weird you. I am. You're not weird. <laughs> I'm glad we did this. This is great. We should do it again. Yeah. <laughs> Same. Same time next week, same bat time, same bat place. I'll be here. Same. Cool. Take us home, Matt. Cool. Uh, so, yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this strange episode. Um, and, yeah, whatever you're having, morning, afternoon, evening, have it with confidence Ooh, and not self-doubt. Love it. Have a good one. Cue it. Cue it.